Welcome to Best Picture This, where it is always Oscar season. I'm Mike. And I'm Brian. In this show, we reevaluate every Best Picture nominee from the 21st century and decide whether to keep it or kick it from its Oscar pedestal. And sure, we could kick it, Brian, but wouldn't it be cooler if we blasted it off the pedestal with a gravity gun? Mm -hmm, That'd mm -hmm. be cooler, right? Set to stun or just... No, no, no. It's when we pick (laughs) up like a pig or something with our gravity gun and then Mm. shoot it. Like like in like in the movie that we're discussing today. Oh. <laughs> the movie that we're discussing today also has a gravity gun and was nominated for Best Picture in 2009. That film is District 9, and that director is Neil Blomkamp. Here's the trailer. The whole world is watching. The course of human history has changed today. The ship appears to be stopping over Johannesburg City. They're spending so much money to keep them here when they could be spending it on other things. At least they're keeping them separate from us. How do your weapons work? of District 9, the refugee camp set up to separate aliens from the general population. They told me I was going to get a vest. Don't worry about the vest, it'll be fine. In the new agents, open the door, please. This is an amazing fight. I haven't seen this type of setup. I don't know, this has got the markings there of, uh, so it's, it's definitely alien, but uh, it's, uh, it's not a weapon. We've seen heavily armed forces being deployed into District 9. Nobody really knew what this place was. says it's going to be quiet this is not a quiet movie it's not it's a loud movie quite loud um are you excited for district 10 i've been hearing about district 10 <laughs> since 2009 are they still talking about apparently making it? neil blomkamp is talking about making district 10 yeah wow. but when he when when the movie first came out it sounded like it was right around the corner mm-hmm. it was going to be a district 10 but apparently not i think at that time i was game i was like let's go this mm-hmm. is going to be great and it's been so many years now. I think I've kind of lost even remember that momentum. The plot. It's like Donnie Darko too, you know? <laughs> yeah. This movie received four Academy Award nominations. Best Picture. Uh, Peter Jackson was one of the producers. So it's always like, Peter Jackson presents. Peter Jackson is riding high at this time, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, it was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. 
and editing and visual effects. Hmm. It was made for $30 million and it made $210. $30 million seems like a pretty low number yeah. for a movie like this. That looks pretty good like this. Yeah, it feels like a full-on blockbuster. There's not very much... Uh, there's not a lot of practical um, alien special effects, mm-hmm. but um, even then, like we know that from Spider-Man that even the digital ones cost a lot of money. Yeah. Um, Neil Blomkamp had previously directed commercials and short films. This is his first feature. So I think that we can learn something from that. You know, that once you get your big break, you know, you made it. You, you, you can go big. I think that um, this is, again... This is my this is my another plug that I'll make that we need to direct a movie, Mike. Write one. Rotten Tomatoes. You're just being silent. You're just nodding. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm giving you're you not a slow, knowing nod. Yes, yes. <laughs> We've heard this yes. before. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes got a gave it a ninety. Metacritic is an eighty-one. It's pretty good for a sci-fi movie. Okay, so in, coming up in this episode, we will do questions, trivia, keep it or kick it. So my first question, I'm going to start. No, trivia after keep it. Anyway, go ahead. I'm going to start with a quote (laughs) that I'm positive I'm going to butcher Mm -hmm. halfway through. I'm going to start. Is it in Alienese or? (laughs) No, but I just can't read. I'm going to start with butchering this guy's last name. Uh, Joshua Rothkop. I think I'm pronouncing that right, but it could be wrong. He's from Time Out. And he said this about District 9. District 9 has too many gory vaporizations to qualify as a serious statement on race relations, but it does outclank Transformers Revenge of the Fallen by a wide margin. <laughs> That's the bar. And you thrill to the clearly cut action sequences. I actually didn't stumble on that one. So I know that you watched these edited. I did. So a lot of the splatter mm-hmm. was taken out. All for, the, all for the you. splatter. This is a splatter free movie, I thought. Yeah, well, it's definitely not. Um, so this might not be the ideal question mm-hmm. for you, but I'm curious what you think. Can a movie, maybe in general, be too gory or too fun to also be serious? Because that's kind of the vibe that I get from this question. Mm-hmm. It's come from this quote. I mean, he's kind of saying it's talking about serious things, but we can't possibly take it seriously because there are gooey. gory vaporizations in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I watched this on clear play. I think there was 138 F words that were bleeped out. There's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, you know how I feel about it. Like, I don't really feel like the gooey stuff is helping, helps the movies. Um, I think it kind of more distracts or I guess it's meant to disturb you more, um, gross you out and that experience is maybe fun for some people I don't know but as far as how serious the subject matter is um, no I, I think that there's been too many movies that we have seen for this podcast I'm trying to think of a good example of one but that mix the serious and the funny you know throughout i mean shakespeare is an example there's a lot of silliness in shakespeare and yet you know talking about pretty serious things in other times of the movie so i think that there's sometimes the comedic timing of a you know silly weird moment is you know it it, i don't think it ruins the whole movie but 
you know that I disagree I do. with, I with do this know. quote yes. by a lot. <laughs> and I was kind of surprised going into this how much body horror is in this movie. Yeah. I sort of forgot about that because there's this whole transformation going on that reminds mm-hmm. me of The Fly, where he's slowly transforming definitely, definitely. In, into there's an, also this 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 fingernail moment. Ugh. That really Horrible. made me think of the fly. I mean, I didn't see anything come out of it. I assumed Oof. I assumed it was it was gooey. I'm I'm tensing up by just <laughs> you talking about the fingernail. But but that moment was right out of the fly. Yes. You know, also I saw about 90% of that that scene as well. But it reminded <laughs> me of the fly. Yeah, but th- there's a lot of that. I mean, he uh, he sort of gets sick and yep. he when he when he comes to at one point he's got sort of a, an alien hand. Yeah. And then it all goes downhill from there and you have this whole sort of um devolution if you want to think of it that way or just transformation from what he was to what he's becoming Mm -hmm. just like in the fly yep and it's disgusting but i think it's the terror is more in the loss of identity than it is with the gooiness it's it's in not recognizing yourself it's in it's in what is this coming out of my body who am i now if i'm you know, what is the self? Is Was it my human hand or is it what's inside? It's like, yeah. it's a basic question, but it's there. The body horror thing is, I, I never heard that phrase body horror until probably we did the fly. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, 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 I'm not reading up on enough horror criticism, I guess. But that's exactly what came to mind to me when I was watching this movie. Um, and it kind of goes along with my second, you know, one of my questions also, it, like, this movie is so political to the point of hitting you on the head with it. Yeah. It's, you know? it's a direct it's, analogy. There's it's, not really, it's, it's, it's not set in, in South Africa for yes. crying out loud. Yes. You know, it's, it's all about apartheid. There actually was a district six in Cape town hmm. that was okay. whites only area in 1966. Okay. Um, there were 60,000 people forcibly removed 25 or 16 miles away. This, this like all happened, but with, you know, with, with real people. Um, and it also refers to contemporary evictions, um, these ghettos. Um, again, there's these trash piles and slums like we just saw in Slumdog Millionaire. Like it is so clearly, and then it's like, there's so much irony in like how everybody is talking about. Um, anyway, it, it's, it's, so, it's so overt that I start to kind of like, oh boy. <laughs> this is like it's it's too much you know i mean i i i i like taking on a big theme mm-hmm. but i think that when it when the body horror stuff starts to happen it kind of rescued the movie for me it made mm-hmm. it so much more interesting you mm-hmm. know it it was hard for me to feel the visceral stuff with the um with with all the politics um it was harder for me to feel it then because I felt like it was a little bit preachy. And then when the body horror stuff came, then I, th- I started to feel it. Which um, happens pretty early in, in the runtime. It's yeah. I think that that maybe is a strength of it because it's never really trying to hide. I mean, it is text. It's not subtext. So it's not really trying to yeah. hide what it's about. It's kind of using all of that as a jumping off point and then saying, what if a guy transformed and went from one side to the other? How does that change his experience and his perception? At the same time, I'm I'm listening to myself say this, and it's like, you know, do I? I mean, my 
I don't know. I guess what's wrong with it being text? It's. I feel like I'm like a you know teenager um, <laughs> just praising something just for how subtle it is. You know, <laughs> like it's so much better when it's subtle. Yeah. yeah. Like like it, I want it to wink at me, be a little ironic. This is not really being very ironic. It's set in the future and it's set with, I don't even know how, I don't know. I don't think it's that futuristic even necessarily. I don't remember what year it's set in. Yeah. I don't think but, so, but I don't think, I, mean, I don't remember either, but I don't yeah. think that it's too, too far you in the future. You feel like it could be happening now, basically. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, if you want to, I guess, <clears throat> if you want to make a movie that is about apartheid, um, and you're saying, okay, we're going to make it like apartheid, but it's going to be with aliens. Um, I don't know. I guess I, I, I don't know if I want to criticize the concept that much, but that was my experience when I was watching it. It was a little bit over the top. It was kind of clever at first. And then as it kept on going, there's a lot of, you know, news footage that's kind of like doing all that's very, it's like a documentary and all that stuff. And, um, I think uh, it was a little bit of a turnoff as far as a movie was concerned. I wish I okay. could just, I would rather watch a documentary about the apartheid, just get right into it and have it be about the apartheid. See, you lost me there because I, 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 I think that you're right. I that thought we were always on the same page on this. <laughs> it's a, part of our agreement. It's a clever setup, yeah. but it's never trying to be, it's never trying to outsmart you. It's never trying to be a super, super um, subtle metaphor here mm. it's kind of just using that to tell sort of a different story so maybe in the first 20 minutes you could be thinking well why don't i just watch a documentary about that if i want to learn about that because this movie is kind of treading the same ground but then it turns into an action movie then it turns but, into a movie about identity that's the thing though wickis's story the you know the white collar you know dweeb who goes in and has to go and evict all the aliens <laughs> That his whole character arc, I don't think, has any connection to the idea of apartheid. Well, to the to the sort of, um, yeah. So like the tone of it feels like it's it's going to be doing that, and then it kind of shifts gears, and that's what's the most interesting part. So I don't know. The changing gears is the point, though, right? Because he's learning something about empathy by turning into by one turning of these into it. because then yeah, he ends up being hunted true. by his own kind he realizes how inhumanely they're being treated the prawns not you know what they call the prawns yeah um not the humans so he's his allegiances are sort of slowly changing as the movie goes on and where i think it gets smart is that he doesn't do this for anything other than selfish reasons until very very late in the movie almost toward the end mm -hmm. so even though he's kind of starting to understand these aliens a little bit more he's getting a little more empathetic he's really only helping them because he thinks it can get back his old life right and then at a certain point he realizes like oh these humans are actually kind of terrible and i was one of them mm -hmm. and then he starts helping them out of uh, you know uh trying to what's the word he's trying to earn back his soul in some kind of way you know mm -hmm. hmm. um and on that note, yeah. the gory vaporizations, to go back to yeah. that quote, I think that's where they come in. Because he's not only running away from who he used to be, he's fighting back in a very brutal and violent way. He shoots this kind of laser gun thing that just people explode into like mm -hmm. just a, a blood mist, kind mm -hmm. of. And that's a, that's a pretty bold statement. It makes you feel those those kills in a certain way that him just kind of saying like, you guys are doing the wrong thing and just sort of running away from them and trying to hide. 
wouldn't do the same thing. So I do think yeah. that the violence is, is serving some kind of purpose there other than just it's genre fun. Well, the thing with, um, th- there's a lot of, um, I, I, I keep hearing this kind of phrase about, you know, with oppression that you, it's really about the body, you know, like the oppressor is basically trying to take over and control your body, not just your mind, but also your body. And um, so I think that that's where some of the, you know, the visceral violence can kind of, remind you that you know this body is fragile and um it can be i guess vaporized it could be vaporized you never know um (laughs) okay so i I, one of the things that stood out to me in this movie was a little bit a little bit of uh a little wonky well maybe a little bit silly but i love the idea that they used the name christopher johnson for this alien (laughs) this is the inventor of the mist (laughs) the guy who's going to rescue his whole clan they're gonna fly up and get you know but his name is christopher johnson yeah so i looked up like what are the best alien names you know wondering Mm -hmm. where you think this ranks do you do you admire christopher johnson or is this like a little ridiculous so groot yeah you like groot is i can't i can't decide what to make of groot he's a little annoying to be honest (laughs) I have never seen the thing, but Shapeshifter was on this. Do they even call him the Shapeshifter in the thing? I know you recently it's reviewed just, it on Letterboxd. Just the thing. It's just like I don't a, think he has a name. Yeah, well, they call him the Shapeshifter. Um, also on the list of uh, iconic movie aliens was Spider, uh, Superman. Yeah, I mean Superman and alien. It's true, you know? but that's not what we're talking about here. <laughs> it's a loophole in the system. Chewbacca. Yeah, that's a good name. E.T. I mean. Eh. Too obvious? It's a little too Should obvious. Should he have had a name, E.T.? I mean, I like the name for him because, E.T.? yeah, you know, kids it are sound, making the it name. It sounds kid-like because yeah. it's E.T., you know, because it's so easy to say. Um, and then, of course, Yoda. Can't get can't can't get enough Yoda. But Two Star Wars references there. I know. Your short list of alien I names know. was not very... Well, uh, the, the most iconic alien, not just the name, I looked at that for the names, but this is a screen rant list of the most iconic movie aliens. Yoda was number two. The xenomorph from Alien was their number one most iconic alien. Yeah, I didn't really count him as a uh, with the name because I don't even think they mentioned xenomorph at least in the first one. I can't I remember. I don't think that he has a name, but yeah, I mean that's that's a classic. That's an iconic one. But Christopher more than Johnson Yoda? is more than Yoda. They're different. Christopher Johnson. It's made a great name. It's the, a great name because it's like an Ellis Island thing where like he comes over yes, and they change his yes, name to something like Americanized. Smith or Johnson. Yeah. So. Um, but the prawns were number eight on like movie aliens. Yeah, that's, that was kind of a little, a little generous, high. I, I thought that was a little generous. Yeah. Anyway, that's my kind of dumb <laughs> dumb question for the day. <laughs> I love the name Christopher Johnson. Um, so the setup of this movie is kind of like a a, a mockumentary where it yep. opens up where it's kind of telling the backstory of this sort of apartheid um, analogy. So and, is this on the in the same family tree as? Um, Best in show. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they do little wacky talking heads in the middle. Um, but we're following this Charto Copley character and yep. he talks to the camera and explains stuff. And then we're following him through the camps. That's how we get to know the camps. And that's all fine. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that I've noticed about this on the second watch is we're in the documentary. We're in the documentary. He gets sprayed with the mist. We're still in the documentary. He's getting sick. 
And then the documentary kind of ends, the visual aesthetic of it carries on Mm -hmm. for the entire middle portion of the movie when all the action is happening and everything else. And then at the end, the documentary format kind of picks back up and we go back to Talking Heads as if this whole thing has kind of been a movie. The first couple times I watched this back in the day, I didn't notice that. It didn't bother me. This time, I'm not really sure if it bothered me because I do think that they they handle it in a in a seamless way. Yeah. But is that a problem? You think that the format well, um, cheats a little bit? I do definitely think that there's a cheat there. It didn't occur to me though. So apparently, I mean, usually I'm on high alert for that kind of stuff. Hmm. Like like for example, I was kind of unforgiving of it with um, Cloverfield, as as you know, you know, there the 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 aesthetic has its advantages. It allows you to get away with certain special effects because it's on a grainy kind of low quality or you know low resolution video camera the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that because it almost makes the visual effects feel better, feel oh, more real. For sure. Especially in Cloverfield. Yeah. But um, He uh, had to document his experience, Brian. No one was going to believe that this alien was... I'm going to jump across this building <laughs> and I know I'm going to die if I do, but hold on, I got to keep my camera going. No. He's got to document his experience, right? So I'm going to do this one-handed because I, I got to keep my camera going. How else would he document so. his experience? <laughs> I don't care if it's during 9-11-ish or not. It's not legitimate. So It's for the greater good and it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so in that sense, I'm always on the high, on, you know, high alert to criticize that. Like the form is, seems good, but then it kind of breaks down. It didn't really bother me on this one. Um thematically you know was that on purpose if we gave the filmmaker the benefit of the doubt was he making you forget that it was a documentary going into the 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 action and then going back and he wants you to remember that you know maybe this isn't a documentary maybe it is i don't know either way i (laughs) I think that the craft of it is well done because you unless you're kind of looking for it you don't really notice yeah um, which is the point, you know, because they, they give you all of the exposition that you need and you meet all the characters you need to know. And then you get to keep that cool aesthetic when all of this stuff is happening, which adds a, an immediacy to the action. I think you're really close up. It doesn't feel blockbuster glossy, mm-hmm. even though the effects feel like a blockbuster. Um, another block, but another, it's a little strange. Another, another special effect that worked really well because of the way it was handled was that floating spaceship. Oh yeah. It looks it's great. so cool up yeah. there floating over the city, but it's always like sort of behind a little bit of smog, mm-hmm. you know? So like, you know that that's kind of convenient because then it looks even better. It looks more realistic, but it totally works. There's some really great shots of like, um, of Charlotte Copley's character. What's his name? Wickus as he's, you know, he's got the alien arm, he's just kind of like looking out over the city and just so happens that there's also this alien ship up up there. Yeah. Some really cool shots. They got some good mileage. Device. Yeah, they got some good mileage out of that that uh, special effect. It's kind of grand and grungy at the same time. And it's, it's great. I love it. So you know what else I thought was interesting here? I keep complaining that there's not enough movies about people at work. Yeah. This, this is, is a workplace movie. This is a mundane workplace this movie. This is like... You know, this is like office, the space. office. Yeah. It's like office space, <laughs> but you happen to be going to do evictions for aliens. Yeah. That would be a good TV show. That could be our, we, we talked about making a comedy show, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a guy who goes and evicts people, but it's actually funny. 
but it's heartbreaking at the same time. You think people losing their homes is funny? You and Jason there Reitman. There certain humor. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> up in the air, exactly. That, that's the second one in a row that we've done. I don't know if that was if we did that last time, but another workplace movie. Hmm. Do you uh, think that, that there's anything there with this sort of happening, this movie happening after the Great Recession, and it's sort of about people losing their homes? <laughs> <laughs> is there anything there? I don't think so, but there is quite a connection with up in the air the more I think about it, you know? <laughs> Going to kick you out of the house. I, I also thought it was... I mean, th- there is a lot of little funny moments in this movie. Like, oh yeah, it's the fact like he's like, um, uh, <laughs> Wickes is just so bumbling. Mm-hmm. I actually, <laughs> at first when he when he first shows up, I'm like, this is what this movie's about. This guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but really, he's magnetic. Yeah, he's great. He's so good in this movie. I don't know that the acting is so great. It's more like a character shtick that he's doing for a lot of it. Um, and as as he kind of deteriorates, there's some decent moments, you know, of acting. And it's it's not like best picture, best actor type of movie, but because um, there's just too much other sci-fi genre type stuff to, yeah, to qualify. You, you can't take this seriously. You can't be an Oscar winner. It's too much fun. If it's a sci-fi movie in general. <laughs> but um, like he's trying to hand a clipboard to an alien who has no hand here, just sign this, you know, like that's a scrawl that counts. That's a scrawl. And it's like the aliens like slapping the clipboard away. And he's like, Oh no, no, there's a mark there. That, that means he signed it. We're good. As though like you can't even communicate. They don't, they can't read it. They can't sign it. And they can't, I mean, you can't give you can't you can't explain the rules when there's such a communication barrier which again it's interesting how they're setting up to be so serious and then on the ground while he's actually doing it um you realize like how absurd the whole thing oh, yeah. the whole thing is it's and, all a hoax i mean it, yeah. it's just for show just so they can move them and yeah. say that they did the you know civilized thing even though yeah. they're not helping anybody and there's no agreements happening here yeah. between them and the aliens. The other thing that's kind of absurdist level of, you know, extreme is Kubis, the military oh, cowboy guy yeah. who is like such a caricature. Um, but you know, they, they do a good job. The filmmakers do a good job of kind of letting the character Wickus's character, um, have some meat to it, you know, have some, um, have, I don't know exactly what the arc of, of his character is exactly, but, um, there is some interesting development in his character, which is culminated by the body horror of I'm actually turning into an alien. You know, he's desperate to like change back and you, you feel that, you know, that that's successful in this movie. Um, but yet they have these other kind of wildly, you know, cartoonish people like Kubis. And I think it contributes to that, that they set him up as, as kind of a loser early on that yeah. they sort of imply he only has this job because his stepfather is the guy in charge. Indeed. At one point he he gets sort of pushed or thrown by an alien and he's sort of hurt and the military guys kind of laugh at him. He's kind of defenseless. And then as he <laughs> transforms more and more, he gets a little stronger. He has more agency. And then he's able to use these weapons that only work with, um, alien yeah. DNA. That's a really clever uh, twist with that. Um, another thing that I thought was pretty funny is because um, I had a similar experience um, when I was working for the newspaper here. Um, 
I went to a drug raid. It was like a, mm. it was a um, ride along. Did they give you a gun? They did not. <laughs> but I had something even mightier. A pen. The pen. Yeah. But I noticed as I got out of this police vehicle, everyone else had bulletproof vests on. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> so as he's riding, you know, along and his 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 uh, coworker in workplace drama has no bulletproof vest on. Oh, you won't really need it. You know, yeah. it's no big deal. I mean, I'm not going to give you mine, mm-hmm. but you know, the implication. Um, and that's a nice little race thing because the guy that yeah. he's talking to is a black guy yep. who doesn't have a vest. I think it's the only one in that sort of company. Could be. And they don't give him the vest. So it, it's almost like the movie is about apartheid, but also there's this little sliver left of, you know, yeah, there's the, the other, original one. The other thing is the other cartoonishly, you know, evil character is the Nigerian gangster mm-hmm. who is in a wheelchair, you know, it's like that's there's something that is obviously more evil and wrong with him because he's in a wheelchair, which already is kind of like problematic. <laughs> he's so like simple minded and bad that he wants to eat. Um, he's he's cannibalistic. He yeah. wants to cut off Wickus's arm and eat it so that he can have the power of the aliens or something. And he has no proof that'll work. And he's done it before no. and it didn't work. He, he, it's it's a ridiculous but you character. Know what they say about quitters. You don't just quit after the first time. <laughs> you got to eat somebody else's arm and see if that one works. But like in a movie that is also so clearly about apartheid, mm-hmm. and you have this super stereotypical, you know, cartoonishly, you know, just insensitive African guy in this like. Is that is that an accident? Is that a flaw in the movie? Or are they trying to do something with that too? I, I wonder I don't know. I wonder if it's almost like he is a product of you know, because the whole idea is like you put people into desperate situations and they and they do desperate things. That's they they talk all the time, these aliens are breaking the law and they're violent, but because they're living in these slums, they have nothing to their name and they're fighting for, you know, cat food. And if you if you go back in time and you think about the real apartheid, not the one with the sci-fi aliens. I don't know. Is this guy a product of that in some kind of way? The aliens themselves were being violent, you know, as they were. But that's because, like, it almost makes it sound like they didn't really understand that that's our culture. We don't just, you know, we're not violent like that. But yet there's this there's this Nigerian gangster. I think it's Nigerian. I can't remember. Exactly. I think when the resources are thin... People get desperate and they yeah. do violent things in competition for those resources. And look at the example of your life. <laughs> I do a lot of desperate things. <laughs> so my next question is another connection. Um, we talked about up in the air. This movie also dealing with past guilt, trying to figure out where it all went wrong in the past, mm-hmm. trying to really work through those emotions, almost like the reader. Wait, who is right? dealing with past? The, this movie, it's dealing oh, with apartheid. Like the whole, okay. Yeah, like the apartheid being similar to, you know, how do we deal with Nazi occupation? Yeah. yeah, and there really isn't a question here. I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. And it's it's one of these things I sort of love about. Just turn it into a yes or no question. About... I'll just say yes or no and we'll move on. So is this the greatest dealing with the past <laughs> movie of all time? No, but I just love that, that you could have a movie like The Reader that is 
it doesn't have any gory vaporizations. And that's a serious film that deals with atrocities in our mm -hmm. past and how do we deal with that through the decades. And then you have a movie like this that is also dealing with other kind of atrocities from the past, except it's putting it through this genre filter where it feels fun, it's action-packed, but it's kind of still doing the same thing. Yeah. I love that you can have those two different approaches and so many others. And I don't know that that's, that's, we, that's art. You know, we should talk about this with uh inglorious bastards coming up. Yeah. Because it's a similar thing. We're talking about Nazi Germany, but there is a genre. It's almost, I mean, Tarantino kind of is his own genre almost like it's yeah. kind of hard to pinpoint where that, where that even fits. But his, um, revisionist yeah. history and, and and but the fun of it you know the chapter one chapter two the all these things which you know and anyway, we'll talk about that in a future episode when i've actually finished watching it yeah there are a lot of connections <laughs> if you're looking for them there are um okay a little trivia trivia um okay so peter jackson was gonna do a movie based on the video game halo um with neil blomkamp that was their original plan but they couldn't get financing. They put Halo on hold. But as they're talking about different ideas of what to do, they talk about District 9, and it just so happened that they could use a lot of the Halo props that they already had planned, so they used those in District 9. There's very, there's definitely yeah. a video gamey kind of feel to this movie. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's partly the way... I don't know. There's something about the filming of it. Um, I'd have to think, think about that more, the, but the second half gets very blasty. Yeah. And true. once it, once it does, it, it really maintains that sort of explosiveness for most of the, and he picks up different guns that all do different things. Like one <laughs> after the other, that gravity gun where he picks up a pig and shoots it is just one of probably 10 different guns that we see. Mm. And they all kind of do these different crazy video gamey things. So that, <laughs> that quality is, is here, even though yeah. story-wise that isn't accomplishing anything, I guess, instead, except for justifying why it seems so important for these people to to gain access to this uh, weaponry. I was going to look this up, but I probably, I just won't bother because I think you might. Have, did you ever see the first person movie, Something Harry? Uh, hardcore Harry. Hardcore now. Harry, yeah. It's with this guy. It's with oh, really? Shilta, or Charlto Carp Copley yeah. is in it also. Um but talk about, you know, a video game turning into a movie. It's mm -hmm. this whole first person. I was really curious about it, but um, it didn't get high enough on Rotten Tomatoes for me to want to watch. Yeah, that's, I, a, that's I only, a good gauge. I only go 90 and above. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank God you have me, Brian. I know. You're, you always introduce me to very badly rated movies, and uh, occasionally they're good. But, occasionally. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, actually, what I usually look for is high critics, low users. That's what I. That's usually the sweet spot. Hmm. Um, but okay. I found many, many exceptions to that in recent, um, recent year or so. Um, the cinematographer Trent Opalock, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, used nine digital red one cameras, all owned by Peter Jackson. It's a good thing he had so many lying around, lying around. 120 terabytes of digital footage. Terabytes. Yeah, that That's seems a like a thousand gigabytes. I don't have any context for talking about one hundred twenty thousand gigabytes. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of that's a lot of footage. Um, so the 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 creature design is kind of interesting. Also, kind of Halo-y. 
now that I'm thinking yeah. about it. Hmm. Um, he wanted, I mean, to, to have an alien that is supposed to stand in basically for black Africans in the apartheid, it's kind of interesting. How do you create this alien that is, you know, what do you want it to feel like? So he, Blomkamp said that, um, he said, if you make a film about an alien force, which is the oppressor or aggressor, and you don't want to empathize with them, you can go to town. You can make a xenomorph, right, from Alien. Mm -hmm. But he didn't want that. He wanted there to be a story where you actually start to sympathize with the aliens. So he made them, one, made a bipedal, which makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, but he had to be repulsive enough that you could believe that everybody was scared of them and didn't like them. That was kind of interesting. That makes sense. So some of the... Uh, some of the um, marketing for this movie kind of cool they put billboards um sony's marketing team put billboards all around do you remember any of this yeah I, those, I, those I, sort of signs with just the icon of their head. yeah, yeah human humans only and mm. there's a there's a toll-free number which you probably called <laughs> right i call every toll-free number i see on <laughs> on any light post anywhere like i better check this out hungry roofers i still haven't ever called that one <laughs> we buy ugly houses okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> So there's a toll-free number to report non-human activity. That was part of the marketing campaign. That's great. 33,000 phone calls. Wow. To this toll-free number in a two-week period. Hmm. 2,500 of them left voicemails with reports of alien sightings. <laughs> I mean, somebody should follow up on those. I love a viral marketing campaign like this that works and that it's related to the movie, obviously, but it's yeah. just kind of, it's just buzz building. It, it's not showing you screen grabs nope. from the film. Or it's just kind of saying, this is coming. This is this is a presence in the world now. And then you kind of get excited about it without, just because of the mystery. Are, are you not more likely to want to go see that movie because you saw those billboards and you saw the 800 number? I don't know, maybe. A little bit? Maybe. Um, so yeah, in 2021, February 2021, Neil Blomkamp said on Twitter that he is, development is moving ahead on a script. Does that even, nah, that's not part of that development. Mean no. That's not part of development. Like we're starting to brainstorm a script here, guys. <laughs> this was, a, this was a, a year ago or so, a year and a half ago for District 10. Um, Blomkamp did go on to uh, get, he directed Elysium. I haven't seen Elysium. Mm. Not good. Yeah. Elysium was best sci-fi movie of the year in the Golden Schmoes in 2013. <laughs> also, biggest disappointment of the year in 2013 for the Golden Schmoes. The Golden Schmoes are very confused. Best sci-fi movie of the year and biggest disappointment. Not about reputable How can source. those be? How can that be? I don't think it makes sense. He then directed 2015 Chappie. I missed that one too. 2021 Demonic. Mm -mm. haven't seen them we got to have a Blomkamp you know filmography series maybe mm, Is he, he's a major know. figure isn't he in 20th 21st I, century I kind of thought he was going to be after this movie <laughs> first try that's a pretty awesome movie for his first movie I yeah, mean come on yeah. but he's done a lot of shorts since then too I don't know if like part of that's commercials yeah I just I don't know if his follow-ups just they just didn't hit and no. you kind of just work on other things you know you, you brought up donnie darko before that's that's one of the biggest examples of yeah. your feature is like this massive cult success 
um, your sophomore is a little bit disappointing, and then it just never really pans out from there. That's probably what would happen to us anyway, so maybe let's not make that. And then we would break apart. I would go solo. (laughs) I'd probably climb the mountain. And uh, I'd throw you a few. I think you'd probably. Crumbs. I think you'd probably go the way of Ringo, and I would go like Paul McCartney, probably if we broke up. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Ringo's still alive. I mean, I guess McCartney <laughs> is still alive too. Paul's filling stadiums still. <laughs> what man. am I saying? Sorry, that was probably too loud. It was. It was uh, obnoxious. <laughs> so, keep it or kick it. I will say, I've said the second gets a second half gets a little blasty, and mm-hmm. I was. I loved this movie in 2009. Mm-hmm. This time, I was a fan. I'll even say I was a big fan. Mm-hmm. But the second half, I was kind of like, give me some quiet moments. I'm a little yep. too old for this. My ears, I need a break. We need these people to eventually go find an abandoned church with some candles that happen <laughs> to be there and have a little chat. You know, some Eat beans out of the can. Philosophize. Yeah, just give me some of that. Um, now, when... Charlto Copley, Copley, Copley. Yeah. When he, yeah, yeah. You, you said yeah, uh-huh. based off on, yeah, on, on contradictory pronunciations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, that's great. The dualism of Mike Cavalier. Um, when he is calling his wife, yeah, and his, you know, he's looking all disgusting. That was one of those quiet sort of like, you know. Uh, that that was a that was a great moment in the movie. I thought that was great, and it, not exactly a quiet moment, but the sequence where he is kind of in the lab and they're forcing him into the into the sort of I don't even know what you would call that kind of like a I don't know a chair. They're 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 forcing him into something and yeah. making him shoot guns to make sure that his hand yeah. works. And they're that's a great scene. So co- oh, creative. It's so so, so good. creative. There he's shooting. Um, I don't know, like a like a dead pig carcass, mm-hmm. and then he has to shoot a live pig. He doesn't want to do that, and, and they an bring alien. up yeah, it brings up yep. an alien. He plays that scene great, yeah, and it's a it's a great uh, sort of dramatic build. That's his first acting job. This guy, he knew Neil Blomkamp. I don't know if I said that before, hmm, but no. But I mean, when you think of that and where he basically, I don't know if he's taken off the street exactly, but he'd never been in a movie before. Um. Yeah, he's a great find. find, find, Doing that was pretty amazing for his first movie. Yeah. So all that being said, Mm -hmm. even though I love um, using sort of sci-fi and genre to look at real world stuff, I do feel like the the human arc here is a little bit more simplistic than I wanted it to be on second watch. Mm -hmm. But I'm still going to keep it because I had I did have a really good time with it. I yeah. did love it the first time I saw it back the first couple of times I saw it back in 2009. And I love that it was nominated. Yeah, because this, this movie would never get nominated in any prior year. This movie and Avatar are I mean, Avatar, you know, the billion dollar behemoth is, is a little different category. But um, yeah, probably neither one of them gets nominated. I mean, if Dark Knight didn't get nominated in 08. You know, I think Dark Knight would have been nominated in 09. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for right. sure. So I'm going to keep it. How about you? Um, I'm going to say it depends on if we're doing five or 10, because I think this could be a top 10 movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a top five for me. So it's probably in the six to 10 range. Yeah. I kind of like that we're being extremely noncommittal with yeah. that because it just lets me say, yeah, I'm going to keep it. I wonder when <laughs> we're going to decide. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? 
on 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 our Facebook posts, you know, if you're listening to this, weigh in. You know, let's have a vote. Whoever gets to a thousand votes first, which side we're gonna go with Easy. five or ten? Yeah, vote for five or vote for ten. That'll take thirty minutes, um, probably. Chris, Christy Lemire <laughs> from Associated Press. She was impressed by the plot and thematic content. Um, she said, "District Nine quote has the aesthetic trappings of science fiction, but it's really more of a character drama, an examination of how a man responds." when he's forced to confront his identity during extraordinary circumstances, unquote. And I feel like that is what made it worthy of a Best Picture nomination. I mean, um, I think that the character is delivered pretty well, and um, so I, I admired that. Um, what else are you watching? A lot of stuff I've noticed on I've been, posting on Twitter. I've been watching a lot of horror movies just to really it's get... It's only the 23rd I know, but no, September. I started at the beginning of September, just really getting a head start in October. I needed to wet the beak, so to speak. Wet the beak. I needed to wet my beak. Talk about body horror. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't know. I've watched a lot of stuff. I, I, I caught up with The Craft I don't know if have you seen the craft, mm. like the high school witches movie. You also what, what the faculty? The faculty is great. Seen, I've never seen the faculty. I, I was a fan of the craft. Um, the, I liked it more than I was. I kind of dismissed it when I was younger because it was like, oh, it's a girl movie, and I, you know, <laughs> never caught up with it. And then now I thought, what, what, what am I dismissing this for? And caught up with it. And I'm glad I did. The faculty, but the faculty, the faculty's um, movie poster makes me not want to watch it. Well, you just got to get over that because a lot of movie posters in the early 2000s and the 90s are going to be pretty rough. And really, a lot of movie posters, period, are pretty rough. <laughs> you can't judge a movie by its poster. But you the can. faculty is super fun. And um, I, you don't like camp, so I don't know. No. If, I don't know how you would respond to that. But it's got a lot of sort of um, See, hat tips to the past. I don't like camp, but yet there are certain... Like, I find that there's some camp that the Coen brothers are pulling off for me a lot recently, which is kind of interesting. And I'm, I kind of wonder if I should revisit uh, Oh Brother Art That after all. Mm, that's, that's, I, that's one I, I like. I didn't really love it. It was like too much in that direction, but I'm, I may be softening. Um, all right. So in the next episode, we're going to talk about Up, the Pixar movie with the most balloons and the most tears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yup. Until then, <laughs> find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on social media. And for 16 years of Golden Takes, head over to letterboxd.com slash Mike Cavalieri. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash bestpicturethis. Thanks to WNZF and the illustrious Mark Gilliland for producing. Also, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to Best Picture This, the best sci-fi movie and the best, biggest disappointment of the year of film criticism. Chicken!